Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. Today, I want to talk to you all about the impact of the coronavirus on what we do as psychologists and therapists. I'm recording this outside of the schedule of podcasts that I had planned because this is something that none of us can ignore. It's shaken our lives. We're not working in our offices anymore. If we work for the NHS, many of us have been redeployed into different roles, some of which will be way outside of our comfort zones. If we work in private practice, most of us are now working from home. Many of us have been plunged into online working for the first time, and this presents a whole range of challenges. It may also be that if you're already doing more than therapy in your practice, you're facing a tricky situation where you're not sure whether you should be continuing to sell your products or whether you should just start giving everything away for free. The fact is, we all want to help in the best way that we can. And I hope that today's podcast, which is all about boundaries, it's actually a recording of a live that I did in the Do More Than Therapy community, Uh, about how to maintain your boundaries in these exceptional circumstances. That's my way of trying to help you guys through this crisis. I've also faced my own conundrum this week. This week is the last week that we're crowdfunding for the Do More Than Therapy community. And there was a voice in my head that said, this is not a good week to be asking people to pay money for anything. This is the kind of week where you just want to give stuff away for free. But as you'll know, if you're in the Do One Therapy group or if you're on my email list, I didn't give in to those feelings. And I've continued to let you know about the rewards that are on offer in the crowdfunder. And I hope that I've done that with continued enthusiasm. And the reason that I have done that is because I believe in the message of the Do More Than Therapy membership more than I ever have before. Watching the members of the Facebook group team up, come together, pull off amazing things, social media projects, community interventions, watching people in my own community come together and do great things has just galvanized my desire to help us as a profession to do more of that. We're good at it. We're really good at doing great things when we work together. But none of us can maintain successful boundaries if we're doing it on our own. So no, I'm not going to stop banging on about the crowdfunder because yes, it's a bit of an investment, but it's an investment in something I really, really believe in. And I hope that you'll believe in it too and want to join me on that part of the journey. On to the recording of the live I did in the group about boundaries. I really hope you'll find it helpful. We tend, as a profession, to be really, really good at therapeutic relationships between ourselves and our clients. It's something that we're all taught about in our training courses, that we think about a lot, we put a lot of thought into beginnings and endings and managing the limits of those relationships. So generally, we're pretty great at that. And first thing I want to impart to you is online working is no different. You stay mindful of your boundaries in the same way and everything that you've learned about boundaries so far stands you in really good stead. And I'm sharing that because when I first delved into online training, when I started doing the course that I did with the um, Academy for Online Counselling and Psychotherapy, 
I felt very de-skilled and like nothing I'd learned would um, would help me at all. When actually over the way, I've learned that everything that I took from my training about boundaries completely applies here. And if I just draw on all of that knowledge that I've gained from face-to-face therapy and my um core training then that's actually the most helpful thing so I really want you guys to take that away that you actually already do know what you need to know it's just about thinking about it in a slightly different context but I guess no one has ever really taught us how to manage boundaries when we're doing stuff outside of normal client work things like social media projects um, community projects Um, helping out with research or even teaching stuff like workshops. What's your relationship to your students like? So on top of that, many of us now have clients literally beaming into our homes, um, which is a unique experience uh, for many of us. Even though I've worked online for a long time, I actually very rarely have seen clients at home. And if I have, it's been, you know, maybe as a one-off once or twice. I usually maintain a very clear physical boundary between my work and my home life. So this is a new thing for me, and I'm sure it's new for many of you to have um, to hear some of the stuff that we hear in therapy in our own homes. So I thought that now would be a good time in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak um, to think about this topic and think about what this might bring us for the future when we're setting up new and different ways of working. I think there could be a real opportunity in all of this coronavirus madness for us to learn something about ourselves as professionals and about where we want our boundaries to be going forward. So I definitely don't have all of the answers, but what I really love about our profession is that usually we figure out the answers through debate. Um, And I'm hoping that this will inspire that. So please do be active in the comments, um, talk back to me about this stuff and um, and do if you listen to this, I'll probably turn this into a podcast episode. Um, So if you do listen to that episode and you've got something you want to say, come into the group and talk to us about it, because this is where as a profession we do our best learning when we're talking to each other, I think. So. The first type of boundary, the one we all think about that I wanted to talk about is the boundary between us and our clients, but when they're in our homes. So I personally have really struggled with this because although I use a lot of ACT therapy and that does involve personal disclosure, there are certain things that I don't typically bring into the therapy room. One of those being the fact that I'm a forces wife, which as if any of you have any contact with the military, you will be able to tell from what you can see behind you that I'm a forces spouse. You know this because we have issued curtains and a particular style of carpet and magnolia walls throughout. (laughs) So to people that maybe one of their parents was in the forces um, or they've got a brother or sister that is, they can tell that from seeing this room. I also, I found out kind of the hard way, I used to have visible one of my husband's um, certificates from work And it was one of those things, he's had it for 11 years, so I didn't really see it. So when I was doing my usual sweep of like what clients can see when I go online, I didn't notice it. And straight away, a client picked up on it and goes, oh, is your husband an officer? Oh, my gosh. Um, 
so you've got the forces thing, you've got the fact that they know from that that I'm a solo parent a lot of the time. You've also got the fact that there's a class issue involved in that because it was um, a commissioning certificate. Really awkward stuff and not stuff I would have chosen to bring into that therapy at that time. Not that they're issues that it's always wrong to bring up, but usually we like to have control over when we bring those things into therapy if and when it's useful for the client. So something I've really learned is to manage what the clients can see and think about it really carefully and try and look at any room that I'm doing therapy from with fresh eyes as though I've never seen any of it before. Um, and I think that's really useful. Also, if you do get caught out by something like that, just being really honest about it. So luckily, I, I knew this lady. I'd had a few sessions with her before. So I just said, oh, wow, I actually feel really awkward about that. Um, I don't normally talk much about my husband's job. Um, she asked me why. And I said, well, because I think it might distract us a little bit. Um, and that was kind of all we needed. There might be other people that would require a bit more explanation than that. Um, but it kind of got us through it. But it can lead to a bit of a rupture and repair situation. So definitely worth uh, considering and avoiding people seeing more than you want of, of your home life. The other one, which I think was less obvious to me when I started out in online work, was how to end sessions. And by that, I don't actually mean telling the client that it's the end of the session, because let's face it, that's awkward in face-to-face -face work, and you will have found a way of doing it in your face-to-face -face career. You will have found a way, whether that's doing the awkward stand-up at the end of the session, whether you found a really lovely way of using structure that leads people naturally to realise that it's the end of the session, uh, whether you're amazing at it or slightly less amazing at it like me, you will have a way of doing it, and all of those ways translate online, I've found anyway. But there's another ending. There's the ending for your mind. And this I find a lot more difficult when I'm working online and people are beaming into my house. So I've really found this this week that it's like my head doesn't get that the session's ended. So I continue to think about the client in quite an intense way. So I'll continue to try and, you know, think about session planning. I'll think about how they might be feeling. I'll continue that kind of therapeutic thought process even after they've hung up and left the session. So I've devised a couple of ways for me that help me to draw a line under a session and help me get back um, that kind of resetting feeling we need before we go back into our private lives or before we go into another session with another client. Um, obviously, I feel like every act therapist watching this is going to be thinking she's obviously going to say mindfulness now. Yes, mindfulness now. <laughs> Uh, so I have, I've really restarted my mindfulness practice in earnest um, since we've had this whole coronavirus thing. And I do find 10 minutes if I can manage it in between sessions. If I can't, then two minutes of just focusing on the breath and drawing my thoughts back every time they wander. It is pretty magic. It works really, really well. The other thing that I do is I created, and I actually did this a few weeks ago to help me with my face-to-face -face work but I found it really, really valuable um, for managing boundaries in my house, is I've created a structure for my progress notes. Now, I always covered about the same things in my progress notes, um, but I found that by formalising that and creating a structure, so I literally work through, something about that process tells my mind, I'm drawing a line under this now, it's coming to an end. 
and I found that extremely helpful. So if you haven't tried that yet and you are struggling, that is something I'd recommend having a go and seeing if your mind works like my mind in that capacity. Exercise is really valuable. Again, I've been using this for years in my face-to-face work. If I know that I've got a client who is maybe going through something really difficult or that I find difficult to hear and think about, then I will schedule in enough time after that session that I can get some fresh air. So ideally, I'd go for a run or do something outdoorsy. Not available to everybody right now, I know that. Um, But if you even stick your head out of the window and just breathe the oxygen into your lungs, I do find that really helps me to reset um, after a more challenging session. Something that I do, which again, I don't know if this is going to work for everybody's mind, but it certainly works for me, is because my house isn't massive. So there isn't a big journey between, you know, leaving my in-home office and going to be with my family. So I will change my clothes and have a shower, if at all possible, before I go back and engage with my family. For me, that's something that I've been doing since I started working in the prison service, um, back in 2008, I I just find that changing my physical appearance changes my demeanour, changes my mindset. Um, so it's just a tip I thought I'd pass on if anybody else is struggling. So the second type of boundary that needs a bit of thinking about is the boundary between us and the public. When we're doing things which are public facing, like a social media project, for example, or anything where you're maybe becoming involved in a local church initiative, we've got an amazing one around here. Um, But I'm kind of public facing as a psychologist um, on social media platforms and also in that capacity. And that feels a bit new and a bit different because a lot of the people I'm speaking to They're not my clients, they may not even be potential clients, but they know me as Rosie the psychologist and that's a different identity and to be honest can be really draining. So the first time I set up a social media project that was kind of explicitly living on social media was actually Christmas this year. I set up a um, a group for separated parents who were solo parenting their way through the Christmas period and I got all these parents into a group and I provided basically a mindfulness challenge. So every day we would have a mindfulness-based activity and then I'd help them kind of troubleshoot implementing it, help them troubleshoot issues that they were having. Now, obviously, or I say obviously, it wasn't obvious to me before I set it up, but that required me to be in therapist mode. So I made it very clear there were group rules about disclosure and this wasn't therapy and I did all the signposting to all the places that they could get therapy, they could get crisis support and all of that. It didn't change the fact that those were vulnerable people and they knew me in a professional capacity. So I couldn't switch off from it. So the way that I started to manage that was in blocks of time just like you would with therapy sessions. So instead of like checking the notifications and responding at 11 o'clock at night, like I might do for a friend, I was saying, I will only go into this group, check the messages at certain points during the day for set periods of time. And I had made that clear in the group rules as well. So people knew that was their expectation. And that really helped because until I did that, I was finding burnout was on the horizon because operating in that very thoughtful clinical frame of mind that we use that is draining and you can't just give and give and give of yourself in that way all of the time 
So one way of managing it is time blocking. And I think that's really useful, especially if you've got social media projects going on at the moment. Another way of managing it is to take different roles in different places. So I found that that group actually alongside quite a heavy clinical load and where my kids are at at the moment, it was too much for me. So when Christmas period was over, I'd always said it was a pop-up group for Christmas and I decided not to continue with that. And I haven't set up anything similar in the new year. So instead I decided that I still wanted to reach more people and help more people, but I wanted to do that via other professionals, like in this group, in the Do More Than Therapy community. And this isn't draining for me. Talking to you guys is not draining to me. It's restorative because it's a different part of me. And it's part of me that actually gets depleted in my private practice because I don't have much contact with other clinical psychologists. And I knew that I would feel that way about it. And sure enough, I absolutely love coming in and chatting to you guys. And it doesn't feel like I need to have that same therapist head on when I do it. So that's something that I can manage alongside my clinical work. So sometimes just changing the role that you're taking can be really helpful. So say with the um, Baptist Church project that's going on in Plimstock at the moment, the role that I'm taking with that is very practical. It's not therapeutic. I haven't offered counselling services. Of course, if I do need to, if there's a real need for therapy or counselling services, I may step up to do that. But if I do, I will be carving that time out of the time that I already spend in therapist mode. So it's fine to take on other projects. You just can't expect yourself to just add and add and add. You have to bear in mind which hat you're going to have on, if you like, and spend a set amount of time, the amount of time you're actually comfortable with spending in that role, in that role and no more. I think that is really important. So knowing what to give on social media. This is a type of boundary that I've been asked about a few times by other psychologists, my friends, who are maybe a bit fearful of having a visible social media presence. But it's one that I haven't found as difficult to navigate as I thought I would two years ago before I started out. And actually, the reason I don't find it that difficult to navigate is I just have one really clear rule for social media. And that is that I never say anything on any social media platform that I wouldn't say to a client. So that's the filter that I apply to it. And I realised that, again, because I predominantly work with um, ACT therapy and I use very kind of straightforward, straight-talking approaches in my therapy normally, that is potentially easier for me than it would be for somebody who is maybe an analyst. Because my therapy, it does involve a bit of disclosure. Um, My therapy does involve a bit of humour. And so those are all things that I can bring out in my social media and feel safe doing that. But there are certain things which I absolutely will not do on social media. Um, that a lot of my friends do do. I don't share just like holiday snaps of my family. I don't share, um, you know, selfies of me and my daughter unless I'm doing it with some kind of clinical angle to it or some kind of mental health positivity message. And in a way, that is a real shame. I don't have genuinely personal social media accounts anymore. But for me, that was what made me feel most secure and most comfortable to use social media at all. Because I know that there are people that have separate personal and professional profiles, but I'm just a little bit sceptical about putting that much faith in Mark Zuckerberg. Because although he seems like a nice guy and everything, 
there are always ways that people can link our information back to us. You have to assume, don't you, that anything you put online could be found anywhere by anyone at any time. And so I will not put anything out there that I think a client wouldn't expect me to be saying. Now, clearly, I put out a lot of messages that are not explicitly for my clients or potential clients. You know, this stuff, I have to assume that a client might listen to the podcast, they might hear a recording of this, or, you know, they they could track me down and they could find this, they could join the group, they could find this recording, and it's not for them. But would my clients expect me to be doing this kind of work? Yeah, I think they would. I think my clients know that I'm somebody that really believes in promoting mental health outside of the therapy room as well as in it. They know that about me. It runs through my therapeutic work. Um, so it feels like it all fits into a picture that they would be comfortable with. So I that's the main thing. That's the way that I think about social media. And that's how I kind of hold that how much to give boundary in my mind. But I, I realise it's going to be different for everybody. And I hope what I'm doing here is just helping you to think about where you want your boundaries to be, because it is very, very personal. Now, the final boundary that I think we all need to get sorted at the beginning of our business journeys, if we're in private practice or at the beginning of any project that we're setting up, is the work-life boundary. Because as soon as you start to do stuff that goes beyond therapy, it can get seriously all-consuming. So, for example, when I decided that I wanted to build this community on Facebook and then that when people seem to enjoy it and want it, that I wanted to crowdfund for it, that was a massive decision because I know that reaching people online is a seriously all-consuming task. And if you've got a book to sell or you've got workshops or online courses, anything where you need to reach more people than you'd have on your typical caseload, then you're going to have to put some serious work into building up that audience. And it is work where you might need to use your therapy head. So it's about considering that you'll be in that kind of clinical mode. Um, it, it can be really intensive work. And so to make that possible, I think it's all about ensuring at the business planning stage, and I, I've put this into the psychologist business plan because I really, really believe that most of us don't do this. I certainly didn't. At the beginning, I sleepwalked into thinking that it would be okay to spend like five hours a day doing um, Facebook interactions to try and get people into a group and I didn't really think about the toll that that would take on me now I will not do it like that now I will look at how many hours I've got in my week how many hours I want to work how many hours I'm comfortable spending in a therapeutic frame of mind how many hours I need to be in a different frame of mind and then I will work out how I can make the money I need to make to feed my family and to sustain myself in the business and then I will only allocate hours that are left over from that to doing stuff that isn't directly going to bring any money in. So, for example, I've worked out that I do have a certain number of hours that I can work for free in a week. I give a couple of those providing low cost therapy to people and I give some of them to building this community and doing stuff for the Do More Than Therapy community. Now, that will change and develop and that's kind of what a social enterprise model is hopefully some money will come in which means I'll free up more time and all the rest of it so you have to constantly be going through your business plan and looking at what can I afford to give to this project um, 
Because if you don't, you will become resentful. If you give more than you can afford to give, if you expect yourself to give more therapeutically than you have in your tank, if you expect yourself to give so much that you can't earn enough money to feed your family, that bills become a problem, you'll become really resentful. And ultimately, that's what happens when we break any boundary. That's why all of these boundaries are important, because we can't function well as therapists, we can't function well in our families, in our personal lives, if our boundaries are shot to pieces and we're feeling resentful and burnt out as a result. So I guess the final point that I wanted to make is that you have to make sure that your boundaries allow you to live your values and live your mission. And that sounds really woolly, but if you've read The Psychologist's Business Plan, you'll know exactly what I mean, that it's all about making sure that every hour that you spend that is not with your family or nurturing your personal life is actually serving your greater purpose, is taking you towards your values. Because if it is, um, then you will find a way to sustain that. You'll feel good and creative and able to do your best work. If you've totally given your boundaries away and you've lost a big part of your life, it's usually the personal component, but whatever part it is, then you're going to really struggle to give people what they need, whether that's in a social media project, whether it's your therapy clients or whether it's your family. Um, So I really think boundaries are a critical issue and I hope that it's been helpful to talk like this about them. Um, I hope that I've shared some stuff that's useful but please do let me know in the comments where you're at with your boundaries what strategies you've used to keep your boundaries strong and keep yourself feeling safe and secure at this challenging time did you know that we're crowdfunding my dream for the do more than therapy community is to turn it into a social enterprise more about what that means in future episodes. But what you need to know is I plan to find the best experts from business, publishing and marketing and deliver monthly masterclasses to help us make our incredible ideas into reality. I've already got people lined up to teach us about self-publishing a book, using Facebook ads for marketing and knowing your numbers in your business. And the community has come up with literally hundreds of other good ideas that I can't wait to follow up. I'd also love to introduce peer supervision and accountability groups to keep us all on track. The plan is that any profits from this project will go back into this community as grants to help you get your projects off the starting blocks. Pretty cool idea, right? All of this is only possible with your support. Visit the crowdfunder page, the link's in the show notes, to see how you can become a founding member of the Do More Than Therapy movement. Together, we can change how the world sees mental health.